Hey everybody, my name is Jude Gold, as a lot of you know, and if you're new to the show, well, hello, great to meet you. Normally, the format of this show is I sit down with a fantastic guitar player, and we both plug in, and we both play, and they play for you, for me, for us, and we talk with them about how they develop their career, and, of course, their style. And I know some of you are expecting the Steve Morse episode because I teased you with a picture of his guitar on the No Guitar Safe Facebook page. However, some shit happened. I lost a week. More importantly than that, I lost an amazing friend and an amazing band leader and musician, Paul Kantner. When the truth is found to be That's probably Jefferson Airplane's most famous song, and you'd have to be living in a gopher hole your whole life to have never heard it before. I always had a blast playing that with Paul. As a member of Jefferson Starship, you know I joined Jefferson Starship in uh, August of 2012, and I played over the past three and a half years, probably 150 shows all over the world with Paul, and maybe another 30 without him. And, you know, I had a killer time with Paul on that tune, because at the end, I would always go over to his side of the stage. I always made sure to have a big, like, 25-foot cable or a wireless those moments when I would go over and stand in front of his two Fender Twins cranked so loud that they seriously melted your fillings and made your eyeballs burst. Okay, I'm exaggerating, but sometimes I'd be over there and like I couldn't even hear the drums because he had them cranked. You know how loud it is when you have Fender Twins cranked to to the point of like near feedback? But you know what? It was a glorious sound. Rickenbacker 12 strings, sometimes in a cool open tuning or sometimes capo cranking through those amps. That was the real deal, man. Paul brought the thunder. That's only one aspect of the great Paul personality. But at the end of that song, I used to come over there and we would rock out. I'd do like some kind of solo and he'd be standing right next to me and shoulder to shoulder, guitar to guitar. He always liked to go up to the lip of the stage, even at age 74. Our last gig was January 16th of this year in Jackson, Tennessee. He just liked to go up to the front and take that machine gun stance and just pulverize people with that 12 string. I'll never forget playing with him. There's so much to tell you about him. He was such a character. Let's listen to a little more classic Jefferson Airplane first. One pill makes you larger And one pill makes you small That, of course, is White Rabbit, another fantastic airplane song that I got to play all over the world with Paul Kanner in the current version of Jefferson Starship. That's the great Grace Slick on lead vocals. I think she even wrote the entire song herself. 
You know, Grace famously told the New York Times in 1998, she said, I don't like old people on a rock and roll stage. I think they look pathetic. Me included. She's very funny and very uh, acerbic, sort of wry and sardonic, sarcastic. I hope these adjectives are correct. Very quotable, like Paul. And they were soulmates for a long time and have a beautiful daughter who I've come to be friends with named China Kantner. However, so that quote about old people shouldn't rock out on stage, of course, when I joined the band in 2012, that was pretty much my first question to Paul. What do you think about that quote, Paul? He told me, Well, nothing keeps you younger than playing rock and roll. Of course, since then, I realize I don't agree with either of them. I realize nothing keeps you playing rock and roll like being young. And Paul was young at heart until the very end, and that's one of the many things I loved about him. Before I even try to impersonate his voice, which I'm not going to do, I want to make sure you know this amazing, deep, rich timbre of his voice. It was a true baritone, and it was wonderful because he never really said much, but when he spoke, it was always something edgy and and uh, surprising. There's a story about how semi-recently someone said in the audience, someone shouted out, Hey, Paul, can you play this song for my sister who passed away three months ago? I forget what song it was. His response was, she won't hear it. <laughs> he said that to the crowd. Anyway, enough of me imitating. Here's a, here's a song called Baby Tree. It first appeared on Blows Against the Empire, his celebrated solo album. He actually got a Hugo nomination. That's like the Grammy nomination of science fiction writing for his science fiction inspired lyrics on that record. But that's another story. I wanted you to hear his voice. I loved his voice so much that one time in Cape Cod at a gig, I happened to have my trusty Zoom H6 handy recorder with me. When I knew he was going to play a solo tune, this solo tune, a song called Baby Tree, I ran out into the audience and just sat next to some guy in the very front row with my recorder running just to capture the sound of him singing this song because I always loved it. There's an island way out in the sea Where the babies, they all grow on trees And it's jolly good fun to swing in the sun But you gotta watch out if you sneeze, sneeze Gotta watch out if you sneeze You know, if I have any regrets, it's that we didn't do a cool sort of like kind of like what Johnny Cash and Rick Rubin did, just a a bare album with just Paul, his guitar, and that voice. Listen to that shit. And the babies lie there in a pile, and the grown-ups, they come after a while, and they always pass by all the babies that cry. They take only babies that smile, smile. They take only babies that smile. Yeah, I hope I can get in everything I want to say about Paul in this uh, short tribute before I start packing for tomorrow's show in Arlington, Texas. That's right, we keep going. The music keeps going. David Freiberg is now the senior member of the band. He was in the airplane too. He's been in Jefferson Starship since the beginning. Well, there was a break there. 
particularly during the uh, the split off to Starship when Mickey Thomas and uh, Greg Jacquiso did the uh, We Built This City type of songs, which Paul and David were not a part of. But the band continued. I first really noticed the band. I mean, I knew about them when I was a kid, of course, because I, I was into anything with a guitar on it. But I, they really first came onto the radar when I was listening to the radio in the eighth grade, and they had this cool song called Find Your Way Back. Great Mickey Thomas on vocals. cool tune. I think I saw that tour the next one, age 13 in San Francisco. I was so struck by how hard they rocked. Like as big as the album sounded when you saw them in the room they were just throwing down. Craig Chikiso sounded amazing. But I want to share one song from that same album it's called Modern Times. Find Your Way Back was the first song on the record. The last song on side two is this amazing Paul Kantner song called Stairway to Cleveland. I love that intro. That's Paul playing two keyboards with the identical patch, one hand on each keyboard. When you listen to those sort of stacked three-part harmony vocals, that's classic Kantner. But he got the idea from his hero, Pete Seeger, and his band, The Weavers, folk band. And I'm going to embarrass myself here, but they were early 60s, late 50s. Anyway, they influenced him hugely. Paul and Jefferson Airplane got a lot of credit for uh, being supposedly the first or one of the very first bands to make a splash with a female front person, with a woman on lead vocals. And that's great. But again, he got that idea from the Weavers, too. He kind of modeled after them and then did his thing. Of course, you got to love the protest nature of this song. Paul Kanner was a character. I remember one time we were sound checking at a venue in London, the borderline, and there was a really nice sound guy there, and Paul was smoking on stage. And the guy told him, Excuse me, Paul, uh, you can't smoke in here. Paul said, in California, we say go fuck yourself. It was funny because he wasn't really being harsh. I think Paul had a undeserved reputation as a hard ass because he could be one, but he was very sweet, always. <laughs> Maybe not on your first impression. He would say stuff sometimes that was a bit cruel, but he was always full of love for life and very civil people, generally speaking. Civil was a word he liked to use a lot. I like this song, too, because it sort of has a punk rock energy. You know, a lot of people think of Paul as of the hippie generation. But if there's anyone from that generation who is not a hippie who gets characterized as such from time to time, 
It's Paul Kentner. He was psychedelic, but he was also punk rock as fuck. I mean, just listen to the last lyric of the song. You know, we like to do this thing before each set. Classic kind of band thing. Maybe hockey teams do it too. I don't know. Everyone puts their arm in hand on hand. We do kind of a little band prayer, often led by Kathy. We call it the clump. Kind of like a little spiritual moment. Like, you know, dear universe, let us have a great show. Let's bring the rock. It's all the stuff. <laughs> Everyone's has their eyes closed. And Paul would have his hand in there. And, and he kind of always had this little mischievous smile on his face and he'd be like fuck this hippie shit but you could tell that he still kind of enjoyed it you know he was so full of love for all of us it's very important that people know that you can't love somebody as much as he was loved without him giving it back to people whether it was his friends or his family I hear that he got a lot of respect from the punks in the 80s San Francisco punk club scene when it was really happening, because he would show up and check them out. Regarding those cigarettes, man, what a riot. He would walk around airports and smoke. He'd typically, well, what, he had different moves. One of his moves was to go to the gift shop. He'd like walk right up to like the magazine. You see like Us Weekly or something. You see Paul Cantner looking at an Us Weekly. He has no interest in that. Watch closely and you'll see him spark a cigarette up and then put it in the pocket of his army jacket and walk around. I heard that sometimes he'd even get caught and he'd be like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I couldn't do that. And most of the time he'd get off. <laughs> One song from his uh, solo album, Blows Against the Empire, that I always loved playing with Paul was Have You Seen the Stars Tonight? just so beautiful just so much room in that song room to add melodies You know, Paul was a great, great band leader. His bass player in Jefferson Airplane and later the Starship, Jack Cassidy, said that it was like they were flying and Paul was the only one that had the map and knew the destination in his mind. Yorma Kalkinen, the original Jefferson Airplane lead guitarist, said that Paul was the catalyst. You know, amongst all the talented members in the band, he was the magical ingredient that made it all come to life. And he kept that going to the end. I always loved how he pushed us. 
Yorma has a very famous song, an instrumental guitar piece called Embryonic Journey that's on the famous Jefferson Airplane album, Surrealistic Pillow. And if you've never heard it, you're going to love this piece. You're going to love it. Beautiful Travis picking kind of stuff. time we were playing in Tokyo in 2012 and we promised the uh, promoter ahead of time that we would perform the entire Surrealistic Pillow album in its, you know, track by track from start to finish. And one of the tunes was Embryonic Journey. I had only been in the band like three months at that point and I did not have enough status to bring an acoustic guitar to Japan on whatever airline we were on because I already was bringing two guitars to electrics so I played the piece on on a telecaster maybe with a little delay or something and then I started to add some of my own little things to it here's a little sample from a uh, Hertford in England recorded by our good friend friend of the band Adrian Johnson aka Jelly That was such an incredible opportunity, you know, to be able to have the whole audience watching me play a piece. It was so generous of Paul. He was always very, very generous with everything. And he really wanted his musicians to soar. I like to think that he enjoyed what I was doing with the piece and kind of modernizing it and stretching it out because the original is less than two minutes long. like to think that he really wanted me to expand into new directions because that's what he always wanted to do was hit the next strata find the next galaxy of music but i also realized that he probably also wanted a nice smoke break <laughs> that crazy pedal you hear at the end there is a um, boss terra echo I don't know, it just moves me to hear the audience applaud for me because of the fact that Paul would be willing to put me in front of his audience. Those are his fans applauding. David Freiberg, who's still in the band, kills Jane every night. You know that song, Jane. David Freiberg should kill that song. He wrote it. Mickey Thomas, of course, is singing in this version, the original. A lot of people don't realize that Paul Kantner wrote the intro to that song. Let's go back and hear the intro again, just real quickly.
Paul Kantner also wrote, I should say, had a big role in writing Wooden Ships, which was made famous by Crosby, Stills, Nash, but it was also a popular Paul Kantner song. We did it quite a bit. He had great stories of writing that on like a crazy beach with David Crosby and some crazy brownies or something. Wooden ships on the water, very free and easy. Easy, you know the way it's supposed to be. Silver I once asked Paul Kantner about what he thought how what his feelings were on mortality and he said death doesn't impress me much that was so badass (laughs) and he kept it going till the very end folks he kept it going till he was 74 you know it probably wasn't even a month before he died that it was announced publicly that paul kentner and the rest of jefferson airplane are getting lifetime achievement grammys at the grammy awards this year And of course, he didn't give a shit about that. He knew about it weeks ahead of time. He knew about the coming announcement, but he never told us. He never told us to clear the calendar for the date in April where they're going to be awarding the Grammys for Lifetime Achievement at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood. He didn't care about any of that. He only cared about gigging and playing music and doing it till the very end. No matter what profession you're in, There's something really impressive, something we all respect about doing it till the very end. Paul was one guy who most certainly would have kept it alive until he was 95. He was 74, and he basically died with a guitar pick in his hands. And I respect the hell out of that. I hope you guys understand that this is not intended to be my ultimate be-all, end-all eulogy to my great friend and band leader and musician and musical stage mate, Paul Kantner. But what was going on was I was doing the Steve Morse episode and I knew I had to mention this at the beginning and it was just it was just too much to just shoehorn into the intro or the outro of the Steve Morse episode. I had to give you guys at least a little taste of this great man, Paul Kantner, who played Woodstock, who discovered LSD and Fender Twin Reverbs the same week, as he was fond of saying. (laughs) Only he worded it much better than that. He said, we had the fortune or the misfortune of discovering Fender Twin Reverbs and LSD in the same week. Much different statement. (laughs) Very funny. He, you know, yeah, I said he played Woodstock Monterey Pop Festivals. He played, he played, um, Altamont, the famous or I should say infamous festival in California where apparently the Hells Angels actually killed a fan in some kind of disagreement. Paul told me he thought he saw that from the helicopter as he was leaving and the Rolling Stones were about to take the stage. Paul was invincible. This was his second heart attack, but he just never thought that anything would ever 
stop him because he never stopped doing what he loved. We had some really good shows. Things were just getting better and better, and uh, hopefully we'll have good shows in the future in his honor. But, you know, we played some big festivals. We played with Huey Lewis this summer in front of like 40,000 people in Minnesota. And it was neat because Huey knows some of the guys in Jefferson Starship. And he was on the side of the stage watching us. And he kind of had this cool little smile because you know what? We were throwing down. Like Paul's energy on stage was go for it. He never cared about having perfectly tight, presentation but rather he wanted the vibe and he wanted us to go for the throat of the song you know that's hard to describe hopefully you'll see us play someday but you got kathy richardson up there on lead vocals now just murdering cowbells you know we're just cranking stuff up getting feedback i'm getting feedback it's just it's a different kind of a vibe than what you expect at a lot of classic rock shows paul gets you to play like a 19 year old who's got his first crazy gig And uh, I'll always thank him for that. Of course, Paul could be kind of difficult at times, or I should say stubborn, And uh, which leads me to this funny joke I'd like to close with, and it goes back to Altamont. Anna Faherty made it up, and uh, she told it to me once, and it goes something like this. She said, you know, they're thinking of having an Altamont reunion concert this year. Everyone was on board. Jefferson Airplane, the Rolling Stones... But the Hells Angels pulled out because they said Paul Kantner was too difficult to work with. (laughs) God bless you, Paul Kantner. Um, I can't say enough about this man. I don't want to get too gushy and tell you how much I loved him. But I fucking loved him, and we all did. And so did everyone who knew him. Man, I will just forever and ever be thankful to Paul Kantner for making me just the fourth lead guitarist in his uh, 50-year career not counting stints with uh, Jerry Garcia and Peter Kalkinen, Yorma's brother. Yeah, it was Yorma Kalkinen, Craig Chikiso, both amazing players. Another fantastic player for many, many years, Mark Slick Aguilar, Slick we call him, Slicky, who still plays with us quite a bit. And myself. I mean, that's just to even have the smallest little teeny part of that trajectory with Paul is amazing. I love that Paul never, ever, not for one millisecond, thought about quitting touring, even though some people told him to stop doing so. He died on the day that he was supposed to be in Milwaukee. You know, uh, we played that show and the next two, three in a row, without him. Very emotional shows. Many, many tears flowed. But, man, there were wakes, parties, memorials for Paul. Those audiences will never forget those shows. And Paul would have wanted us to continue onward. That was one of his words. Onward. Always liked to be moving, man. That guy was always moving. Never late for lobby call. Never late for the gig. Though he did like to skip sound check pretty frequently. (laughs) So we came back on a Sunday. Monday, February 1st, we all scrambled to a Catholic cemetery in San Francisco for a private, private ceremony, a burial. 
We gathered around the gravesite, just his family and his family of musicians. It wasn't particularly formal or religious. It started with his daughter, China, giving a wonderful talk about her dad, then his son, Gareth, his son, Alex. His grandchildren were running around. We all got up there and we said what Paul meant to us. Jack Cassidy was there and he was offering some reflections, looking back on when the Jefferson Airplane got their first record deals and when, you know, what those days were like, LSD showing up. He said, you haven't experienced anything if you haven't tuned a 12-string while on acid. And that reminds me of one of the funniest guitar quotes I've ever heard, which is when Paul Kantner said, apparently he said this, the electronic guitar tuner killed the San Francisco sound. then they lowered him into the ground and we all threw dirt and roses on his coffin. The grandkids got a kick out of it. They just kept throwing pile after pile of dirt on there. I think it was a good lesson for them. But anyhow, then we went to a place in San Francisco that's famous for being Paul Kantner's number one spot. It's Cafe Trieste in North Beach, and it's right across the street, kitty corner from his apartment where he lived for the last several years of his life. And then on the other corner, like if you walked out his apartment to the left, on that block, a couple doors down, was the saloon, his watering hole, where if he wanted to have a drink, that's where he would go. And last but not least, if he went out his front door into the corner to the right and across the street to that block there was the church where he would go in and we just found this out he would light a candle every day sometimes for us or who knows who so I had this amazing realization I realized that Paul Kantner had it fucking worked if you'll excuse my French He had it made. He had his home on one corner. On the left corner, he had his party spot, social spot, saloon. He went across the street. He had kind of the library, the cafe where he went every morning at seven and read the newspaper and had espresso. It was kind of, that was kind of his his head clearing place. That's like when he was in Catholic school, he always told me about how he discovered science fiction books, the books of C.S. Lewis in the library there. So Cafe Trieste was kind of like his library. And then on the fourth corner, he had the sacred church. He had spirituality. He had everything within like 50 feet of his front door. And then in his garage, he had his starship, his band, where he could take off and go anywhere anytime he wanted. I'm telling you, man, I just have so much respect for anyone who's found their personal center of the universe the way Paul did there in North Beach in San Francisco. Just make sure you keep it alive until the very, very last day, like the great Paul Kantner, my friend and my brother. (laughs) 